Well, we want you to fill that out today. We have a question out there for you today in the atrium. Uh, who is someone of faith who inspires you, that they've lived a life of faith? And we look forward to seeing what your answers are on that because we all need people. We call them the, the Paul who is ahead of us. We need the Barnabas who's beside us and the Timothy that we're, we're that person leading them and, and inspiring their faith. And uh, we would love for you to do that next weekend. So really cool thing is many of you celebrate the resurrection you know, up to 50 times a year, together with other people who say, I want to live the resurrection with God life. But some people do that once a year, and they'll be here next week. <laughs> and we want you to welcome them. We want you to invite them, because we know so many faith journeys are catalyzed on Easter, especially around here, because we tend to attract people intentionally who have given up on church and given up on God because of some crisis in their life, and we would love for, for you to invite that person. And maybe, as Laura said last week, it's around a cup of coffee this week, you say to your friend, oh, I would love for you to come. Our church is in a series right now that is really about what I know you've been through. You, we are in a series on your inevitable faith crisis. And we're going to look at that again next week and the week after and the week after that. And hopefully we catalyze some journeys that have been on pause. So 8 o'clock, 9.30, 11 o'clock, we uh, would love for you to be here. If you come at the 8 o'clock, there will be some special bills, donuts, uh, reward for getting up at 8. And you can wear your pajamas. Remember, you can wear your pajamas if you want to. Uh, my favorite Easter story of pajamas is uh, when one of our guitarists wore a onesie that was skin-toned. <laughs> so it was the first time in the history of the church that a guitar acted as a loincloth as far as the church out there saw it. It was fantastic. It was just great. But you can wear your pajamas. We, you know, just it's come as you are. And uh, we'd love for you to do that. Know that the 11 o'clock, this one fills up quicker than the other ones, so keep that in mind. Thursday, from 12 to 8, we have Easter Watch, and the Reverie Chapel will be open with some interactive experiential opportunities, 12 to 8, and uh, that's going to be particularly relevant as we go through the content this morning. We, uh, we have a, I want to give you a faith test right now. So in your mind, I want you to picture a, 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 a glacier and a thin sheet of ice. Would you rather have a little faith standing on a glacier or would you rather have a lot of faith standing on a thin sheet of ice? Now, it's a little bit of a trick question because we're in church where we're supposed to say a lot of faith. Aren't we supposed to say that? Because in this series, we're not just teaching about, we're, we're teaching about the fact that it's not about how much faith you have. It's about how much faith you have that's real and how you live. And it's not about how much faith you have. It's about the object of your faith that matters. We live in a country that has faith. Everybody in here has faith, actually. We, we, you, you put your faith in the transportation system when you came here today and trusting that when other people were supposed to stop, they stopped. And, you know, when they had red lights, they, we all have faith. We're all have, we have faith in, in someone and something. But the object of your faith, what is it? Because we're looking at your inevitable faith crisis and hoping that the next time that you come into contact with 
a crisis that challenges your belief system, that this gives you a way to navigate that, and especially today, as all of us are inevitably going to have our faith challenged by one significant event or another. And look at what Hebrews says. Hebrews says that faith is confidence in what we hope for. So we're not there yet, but we have enough evidence to, that the, the headlights of evidence have shown down the road this much, and we're going to keep going down the road. Even though we can't see the end of the road, we're going to keep going because we have this evidence, confidence in what we have not seen, what we hope for, and sure it's about we do not see. This is what the ancients, ancients were commended for. So that today, we're asking the question, what kind of faith matters? Last week, Laura answered the question, why does faith matter? But, but what, when we talk about faith, what are we talking about? Because everybody has faith. One of the most important things you can do is what we did last week, and that is tell us what you believe. Tell us something you're sure about. And it's one of the most important ways that you affirm someone. It's a lost art in America. When you ask someone, hey, what do you believe about? And then you don't try to manage them or, or change them, but you accept them for who they are. It's an amazingly empowering thing. The reason is our beliefs are so critical to us because when we define what we believe, we're defining ourselves. We are defining ourselves, what we really believe. And I have a number of things. Like right now, I believe the Reds will not win the World Series this year. I believe that. I believe that. It's hard to win the World Series with a triple-A roster. And you don't have major leaguers on your... On your it's going to be hard. Um, I believe that Jaws is the greatest movie ever made. I, I believe that. And, and, and I have lived that out. I have lived that out. Some of you think I'm a pathological nut for, for loving a movie about a shark eating people. But it's not about that. Anyhow, let's get, not get off that. Uh, but we define ourselves and we say, here's what I believe. So what I want you to do right now is turn to someone... And, and uh, you know, everybody, like, like, put your hand like this. Like, this would be like this. And I'll turn to someone and say, I believe. And finish that. What do you believe that? You can't say Jesus in church. No, you can't think of Jesus in church. And you'll see why in a minute. And turn that. And then you're, you look at them and go, hmm. Okay, you don't have to manage their beliefs. Just accept it. Okay, so turn to someone. Do that right now. I believe. You just do that with each other. I believe. And you, yeah, yeah, okay. See how all this affirmation that's flowing in here right now? Even though they, they, they may be way off their rocker on their belief system. Okay, so when we say, I believe, we are making a huge statement about ourselves. Now, you need to know that there are people who don't believe in belief. Did you know that? The new atheists, people like Daniel Dennett, they don't believe belief exists. That we are nothing but circuits and chips and to say we believe in something is like saying your computer, when you play chess, believes it must passionately defend its king. It doesn't believe. It's just, it's programmed. And so there, you need to know this, especially you students who will go off to college. There are a lot of people who will not only mock your belief, they will mock belief as a belief. And Daniel Dennett, I don't know if he believes that or not, but that's what he says. That belief doesn't happen. What do I really believe? And what kind of belief gets through adversity with grace and faith and hope? What kind of belief topples the Roman Empire? Anybody wonder that? Like what kind of, what kind of faith does that? Changes an empire. Because many of us who, who see America slipping, we go, what kind of faith changes a place 
an empire like America? What kind of faith can gracefully forgive when, when it's violated? What, what kind of faith does that? And this is the question that we want to answer today. Now, one of my favorite writers is a guy by the name of Michael Novak. He was a, he was a Christian. He, he passed away in 2007. But he was a Christian uh, Catholic theologian and Catholic philosopher. And we're going to unpack what he said about faith in his incredible book, Belief and Unbelief. But I want you to see something here. When we, we, he, he would say that. He would say what uh, Professor Novak would say was, it was we would, so many of us sitting in churches today, we would affirm the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell on the third day. He rose again from the dead. There are people, there are millions of people sitting in church buildings right now all over America who say, I believe that. Well, here's the question. Why is it that you know atheists who are better people than some of the people you know are quoting that in church today? Because we know. We do know. We do know. We don't know. We have. We've known people who they don't believe in God at all, but they're better people. They're more kind. They're more gracious. They're more truthful. Why is that? Why, well, what is, what is the reason behind the disconnect between what I say I believe and what I actually believe? There was a True story, there was a church that decided that it could really make its liturgy more efficient by just printing out uh, through a new software uh, the liturgy when they did a funeral with just the name of the person changed. And so one day a lady named Edna died and the previous funeral had been a lady named Mary and they just changed out all the places where there was Mary. It was Edna and everything was working fine in the liturgy until they got to the part where uh, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Edna. <laughs> and then, <laughs> can you, I, I, no, I guarantee you, when that happened, there was one guy sitting there going, that didn't sound right to me. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know, when I was a kid, it was Mary, it wasn't Edna. What's changed in church since I've been in church? It's, it's, there's newfangled churches doing Virgin Ednas. What's going on here? Because, they tell me I'm supposed to, I mean, if the church says it, I'm supposed to believe that, right? A Sunday school teacher who was trying to teach an object lesson, um, and he was using squirrels. And he said, kids, okay, kids, kids, gather around. What's, what's gray, has a bushy tail, and lives in trees? Just pause, nobody's answering. Sorry. Okay, eats nuts, jumps from branch to branch, and waves its tail when it's excited. Finally, one little guy raised his hand and said, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but I know in here I'm supposed to say Jesus, he said. <laughs> and, and what that little parable illustrates is, well, well, they say I'm supposed to believe this, so I believe it. Here's what Michael Novak would say to that. He'd say, in reality, there are actually three kinds of faith. The first one is public convictions. This is what I say I believe because my peer group says I ought to believe it. I say this even though I really don't believe it. So in church, being, if that were your peer group, you would, oh, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, and Jesus Christ. Born. I, this is a public conviction. And really what we would call this, another euphemism for this, would be a public relations faith. 
And that is, you don't really believe it, but publicly it's to your advantage to say you believe in it. So you see this acted out in all kinds of ways. For example, your significant other comes to you and she says, does this dress make my hips look big? And if you understand this principle, you say, no, I didn't even know you had hips, honey, until you brought them up. (laughs) Didn't even know it. That's a public relations. That's a public conviction. uh, And you'd be smart to live that out. But politicians are brilliant at this one. You know, the key to politics, right, is sincerity. And once you learn to fake sincerity, you've got it made in politics. Because you, you've heard this. You've seen this acted out. Oh, Dayton, Ohio, you are the greatest city in America. Because everybody in Dayton loves that. Or, this, have you ever heard this one? This is the most pivotal election in the history of our country. Has it by any chance anybody ever heard that? Well, they don't believe that. They just, they just want you to believe in that. Or, you are the crossroads in the heartland of America. And that's what Stephen Colbert calls in politics. It's not truth isn't important in politics. Truthiness is important. It's got to sound true. And if it sounds true in alignment with what I want to be true, oh, you got me. You got me. And so this is public Conviction. And I'm going to give you an inside secret here. This is the, the, the liability of being a pastor, being a preacher, is I have to check myself to make sure that I really believe what I say. Why? Because in the right environment, it's easy to say things that I know you'll like it if you hear me saying I believe in it. You know, you'll like it. We, when we first started as a church, the first Sunday I was here, we had 72 people in a room that held 400. So it was a comfortable attendance by that, I mean everybody could lie down and take a nap in the pew if they wanted to. We were at the seven-day Adventist building on, in Centerville on Spring Valley Road, and 72 people. So, I, I mean, the first 22 weeks, literally, I was calling family members from all over Ohio, Cleveland, Zanesville, and saying, hey, can you come to church? Because we were just trying to put warm bodies into the, into the room. And, but one of, when you're, when you're that size, everybody stands out. That's why, that's why everybody wants the bang of a large church, but the intimacy of a small one, because you know, everybody stands out. And we had a lady and her husband, wonderful people. Her name was Sue. And she was extroverted with her faith. I mean, she would come to church every day. Oh, hallelujah, praise Jesus. Isn't God good, brother, brother Charlie? Hallelujah, praise Jesus. Isn't God good? And she was just so extra. Which, trust me, if you're that way, I love that. I'd rather restrain a fanatic than resurrect a corpse any day, okay? <laughs> and, and she was that way. But it was a little like, oh, Sue, can you just tamp it down a little bit? Did you okay? And because on top of that, we had a guy who was a greeter at the time. I'll call him Steve, who he was so enthusiastic in his greeting people at the door that he dislocated shoulders, okay? He was that, you ever seen that? And so I had a friend, Rick, whose brother has been a part of this church and his family since that time. And Rick was just coming into faith. He had grown up Catholic and... And uh, I was trying to get him to come to church, and Rick confessed to me one day. He goes, man, he goes, I'm freaked out coming into that building. He goes, I want to tell you, I wait until I know for sure you're preaching before I come in. I just wait because I don't want to get assaulted at the door. <laughs> and he, did, he, you know, he listed Sue and Steve and all that. So one day after service, you know, 
Rick and I are in the dating phase of church. He's kind of getting interested. We're not married yet, but we're dating. And I'm talking to Rick after service, trying to act dignified, trying to connect with him. And out of the corner of my eye, I see Sue coming. Oh, Lord, you rescued Daniel from the lion's den. You rescued Jonah from the mouth of the fish. Please rescue me from this moment. And here comes Sue. Oh, Brother Charlie, hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Isn't God good? It's so good to be in the spirit today. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Isn't God good? And she goes, Brother Charlie, I need to talk to you. I said, Sue, can it wait a minute, please? Can it wait just a minute? She goes, oh, no, Brother Charlie, you can't wait a minute. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. My rich uncle died and gave me $10,000, and I'm going to give it to our building program. And I said, hallelujah, praise Jesus, isn't God good? It's so good to be in the spirit today. You know, I'm telling you, the longer you're in church, the easier it is to fall for this. That I'm just going to say it because it sounds good. And some of us have a public faith. Interesting thing is happening in America right now. It used to be socially beneficial to be a church member, a church attender. In most of the country, and increasingly so, especially on the coast, it's no longer socially beneficial to have a public faith. It's actually socially detrimental to be known as a church attender. The second one is, according to Michael Novak, is what he called private convictions. And these are what I think I believe. I believe, I believe this. But the catch is, is I do believe it except when it becomes inconvenient for me, and then I really don't believe it. So you see this acted out on so many levels. I've seen this with, with guys, you know, they, they see this girl who's just, oh, she is just like perfect. But he has a commitment phobia, and she's perfect. He, he's like, oh, I'd love, to, I'd love to date her, but she's dating someone else. And then one day she becomes available. She's on the market. She becomes available because, you know, she broke up with this other guy, and all of a sudden, she now knows that he's interested in her and she can make a commitment back to him. And he goes, you know what? I don't think she's all that wonderful anymore. <laughs> Why? Because now it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. That's a private conviction. That is a private conviction. I believe something until it costs me what I don't want to pay. The ROI on this doesn't measure up to me. So this week, if you go into the Easter watch this Thursday... Here's what I want you to think of. One of the things I want you to think of is your faith. What I want you to think of is Thursday night was the night that Peter showed what a private conviction looks like. Because on the night he was betrayed, Jesus says, you're, you're all going to abandon me. In my moment of need, you're going to abandon me. And what does Peter say? Yeah, those other turkeys might abandon you, but I'm not made of that cowardly stuff. I'll stick with you through thick and thin. Now, how many of you believe that Peter believed he believed that? He believed he believed that. What happened before the rooster crowed three times? He denied Jesus. That's a private conviction. I want to believe this is true. But once it became socially unacceptable to be a follower of Jesus, Peter said, nah, too much. Private convictions are why faith crises are essential. I hate to say this. Not because God wants to know if you're legit. God knows if you're legit. God knows if you're legit. He knows whether your faith 
is real and congruent with what you say you believe, it's for you. We really do not know what we truly believe until we're tested. We don't. I, see, if you ask me, what kind of faith do you have? I'll tell you first, I don't know. I have enough faith that can get through nearly like coming a hair's width of losing two children and trust God through that and love better through that. But I don't know if I have the faith that if I'd have lost those two kids, I, and honestly, I, if, if that would have happened, I don't think I'd be standing up here today is what I think because I don't know if I'd have that faith. If I were Dwayne Haskins' mother and father this morning, I'm not sure I have the faith because you know what? I've never experienced the loss of a child. I, I tell you, I have enough faith to stay faithful, albeit very imperfectly and flawed, leading a sane church for 30 years when you constantly have to overcome this incredibly difficult person called yourself in those 30 years. I know I have enough faith to do that. I don't know if I have enough faith to lead a church in Beirut. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I have enough faith to lead a church in Ukraine. You see... If you ask me, and if I ask you, you, you can say, I have great faith. Well, maybe you do. But really, you only know what you believe based on where you've been tested. And you came through that test with a congruence of what you said you believed, what you preached, and how you lived. Because the only faith that matters is what Michael Novak called core convictions. You never behave incongruent with your core convictions. Do you know that? You always live your core convictions. So when Jesus talked about you hypocrites, he was talking to people who had a public faith or maybe some of them a private faith because that's where we get hypocritical. So we say believe this, but we go contrary to that, how we live. You never contradict your core convictions. This is what you really believe. This is why he called core convictions your mental map. It is your, you're always consistent with what you know to be your map. You know how you got here today. That's your map of how you got to church today. You almost always act in congruence with that, unless for some reason you had to come a different way. You know that. You don't need somebody to tell you that. You, you, you don't need someone to just explain to you again how many rights, how many lessons. You always act in congruence with your mental map. You always act in terms of faith with what you really believe. How many of you believe that if you touch a hot stove, you will get burned? Raise your hand. If you believe that, you don't need a class on it, you believe that. How many of you act in congruence with that belief? You gotta raise your hand, right? You don't need to, you know what? I'm not sure I believe that anymore. I'm gonna touch the hot stove. <laughs> you don't need that because you, you have a mental map. Remember Mark Twain said, if a cat sits on a hot stove, that cat won't sit on a hot stove again. That cat won't sit on a cold stove either. That cat's done with stoves. <laughs> That's true. So we always act in congruence. How many of you believe in gravity? You believe in it. You don't need a gravity 401 class. You don't need to know the effects of gravity. You believe it. Why? Because you've experienced gravitational pull your whole life. You don't need a course in what would happen if you fell from 10 stories. That does, you don't need a class on that. Why? You have a mental map that says 
Heights aren't the problem. The landing is the problem. Why? Because gravity is a very real thing. It, it does, it's not a matter of whether I believe in it or not, but I do believe in it. I do believe in it. And that's a core conviction. You're always acting consistent with that. So when it comes to faith, you just sang, many of you just sang, I love Jesus, yes I do, I love Jesus, how about you? You just sang, you're with me all the time. Does your life model that? Because that's a core conviction then. My actions are always the result of my core convictions. And the purposes that come from them. Like that, That's worth writing down, taking a picture of that, because... Here's the thing. If you want to know your faith, you have to become a student of your actions in order to discover what you really believe. And this is why you cannot have faith without practice. It is impossible. The way James put this was faith without works is dead. It's dead faith. Remember in Christopher Nolan, one of his Dark Knight films, the Batman makes this great statement about core convictions. He says, it's not what's underneath, it's what you do that defines you. Remember he says that? And it is that I can say I believe that Jesus is faithful even when life is confusing. But did I trust him? Was I faithful through that? Because I believe he's there. I sang it. Does that mean it's real? No, what's real is I actually showed people this is what I really believe. And that means I have to become a student of my actions. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, gang. Because I know this isn't for those of you who are atheists who are listening either here or in our rooms or, or online. This is for those of you who have said, I'm a Christian. This is really critical. Faith is not here. Faith starts here. Faith is when you come to believe with your body what you say you believe with your mind, and it causes you to act on it. That's faith. And what we do in America, in, in the West mostly, is, is we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, and His Son Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under the well, yeah, I, I have faith. And no, no, wait a minute. That's where faith starts. Faith, it's how, it's how I live it out. It's how I live it out. And the aspect of this could not be more critical than in our day when people are looking at people of faith and going, why do I want that? They're no different. They're just as mean, just as vitriolic, just as critical, just as unforgiving, just as joyless, just as drug addicted. Why, why would I want to have, you know, why, why, why would I want to have that? Faith isn't faltering in America because people don't have faith. Faith is faltering because people who say, my bumper sticker says it, I'm a Christian, follow me to church, and yet they're a gossip. This, this, this is not congruent. So here's how I illustrate this. This is literally, uh, this is literally true. I'll give you a metaphor. So one of the things I love about Frank Crockett, Frank's been on our staff since 1995, I think it was. Frank started our student ministry back with like a dozen students. And he called the ministry Epic, Experiential Pursuits in Christ. And the reason is because Frank is an experiential therapist, which means he's really good at getting people into high places and getting them to do things that when they're up there, they go, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life, but I'm going to do it because we're team building right now. 
And so very early on his tenure, we went over to Dartmouth Hospital, and Frank took our staff of three or four people, and he gave us an hour lecture on, the, here's why the carabiner is safe, here's why the wire is dependable, here's what the vest is going to do, and if you slip a little bit, you'll dangle for just a moment, but then you'll be okay. And he did it so well that after an hour, I believed, I believed, I believed the gospel of Frank Crockett when it came to heights. Now, here's the problem. At that point in my life, I had two major fears. The fear of snakes. I'll swim with sharks, and I have. And you, I you, you tell me there's a snake out there? I'm not going out there. I'm not going out there. I still haven't overcome that one. It bugs the fire in me, but I just can't overcome it. And then the fear of landing from heights. It wasn't the fear of heights. It was the fear of what happens after you jump off a height. And so we get on this and I, and I, you know, I, my mind believes. But I get up there, and we're a little way through the, the practice, and I slip. And it was amazing how quickly my untrained body slipped into disbelief. Because when I slipped at about 25 feet, which, if you've ever been up 25 feet, it feels like 100, doesn't it, when you're up there? Well, that's not that high. Then you get up there, oh my gosh, that's so high. Sherry and I jumped off the Jaws Bridge a few years ago in, on Martha's Vineyard, and everybody looks like, well, that's not that high. Have you ever stood on the Jaws Bridge and sh- jumped into shark-infested waters, friend? Okay, don't minimize this. But when you're up there so high, I slipped, and in a split second, my untrained adrenal glands went nuts. I immediately went short of breath. I immediately went into a sweat. I immediately wanted to say a four-letter word, mama, you know, something like that. <laughs> and, and I mean, I panic set in. Just, I mean, just like that. Why? Because my body was not trained in that. I believed it here. Didn't believe it here. There's a verse in Daniel 5, 6 in the King James Version that says, and the king's countenance was shaken, and the, the, the joints of his loins were loosened. <laughs> he was so afraid. I love that. The joint, that's biblical. The joints of his loins were loosened. And uh, I, don't, I, mean, I don't even know what a modern translation of that would be, but uh, my, the joints of my loins were loosened. And I thought about, you know what, I'm going to fall. And immediately my mind goes, you're going to fall. And the first responders are going to have a field day with your Buckeye boxer shorts that you had on today. And all these, you know, and a split second, these scenarios go through your mind. Why? Because my body's not trained in that. And, you know, even to this day, Frank's an old guy like me, and he looks like Batman up there, man. I mean, he looks like Batman. Why? 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 Because Frank has tried really hard to believe that the carabiner is safe and the vest. Is, is that why? He's trained his body to do what his mind says he believes. That is faith. That is faith. And that is when you come to believe with your body what you say you believe with your mind. So let's look at a couple. We just looked at this a few weeks ago. Do not judge. Jesus said it. Or you two will be judged. So first of all, the word there, don't be critical. Don't be abrasive. Don't undermine people. Don't judge people's character. And oh, by the way, if you do, it's going to boomerang and you're going to think people aren't nice either. How many of you believe that with your mind? But if we put the eye of Sauron on you for a year, would how you talk say you really believe that? 
You say you believe it. Jesus said it. I believe it. Let's do it. You're still critical. You're, you're still, you, you, you still, wait, wait a minute, no. What about this? The one who's greatest among you will be the servant of all. How many of you say, I believe that. I believe that. But when you're at home, you have servant lethargy. Ever had that? Where you know how to play the game to where if you just hesitate a second, they'll get up and get the food. You know how to play this. You have selective hearing. Huh, honey, I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't redu- Remember what we talked about a few weeks ago about the, the seduction and the reduction of life? Don't, don't fall for the seduction of all these things people worry about, food, family, fitness, fun, all that stuff, and reduce your life to that. Don't be seduced by the things that people wrap their minds around. Don't do that. Don't do that. And you say, I believe that. I believe that Jesus' eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. But if we had the eye of sorrow in front of you for a year, are you really reducing your life and you're trying to create security around things that can't really create security, but that's what everybody else is doing? What about this? It's more blessed to give than to receive. You say, I believe that. I believe that. Would, would your checkbook say you believe that? You see, core convictions are what you really believe. And I wonder sometimes, you know, for those of us in America who are Christians, I wonder if we had the eye of Sauron on the average Christian for a year, what would happen as a result of that? Would, would that evaluation, it, the report comes back in a year, an observer has been watching these people who say they're Christians for a year, and you know they recite this, the creed and everything, uh, would it come back this way? Here's my real creed. I believe it is bad to lie, except when it to do so helps me avoid pain or embarrassment. But is that what would come back? A lie is, is an abomination to the Lord, but it never present help in times of trouble. You ever heard that one? Um, I believe it is beneficial to patronize people who are affluent, influential, intelligent, or important. I believe I have the freedom to judge others because I'm an American. I believe I have the right to gossip about people. I believe looking out for me is the most important action to take. I believe I deserve another donut, another drink, another pill, another fantasy. I believe that 30,000 children dying every day of preventable diseases in our world are not worth risking my personal affluence for. You see, if you look at the way I live, you'll see what I really believe. Laura and I were talking about this this morning. She did a wonderful message last week. I said, we both, I said, you know what one of our greatest fears should be is if somebody puts our name out there who doesn't know us, but because they've heard us preach, they think we have faith. If you put me on that list out there because you know me, that's a different story. If we were to put the eye of Sauron on you for a year and a report were to come back, what kind of faith would it say you have? You see, the cool thing about faith is God has arranged faith in such a way that you'll get the faith you want. That's right. If you don't want any faith, you'll get that faith because you'll find reasons not to believe. If you want low faith, you'll get that faith. If you want just a public conviction, faith that is uh, 
I know how to play the game, and I can be a Christian when I need to be. I know just enough to know that it wasn't the Virgin Edna. It was the Virgin Mary. I know enough about it to know that. And you can get that. If you want a private conviction faith where you, you go a little deeper and be like, oh, she was a committed church attender, and you can get that. But if you want a faith where what you say is congruent with how you live and there's a growing congruence, you have to train for that. You can't just try. You got to spend time with the carabiner. <laughs> you got to spend time in the risk of faith. You, you got to live your life in such a way where you are a faith student a following leader, a learner. And, and, and you, you, you have to say, I don't want, number one, what I say I believe. I don't want, number two, I, what I think I believe. I want, number three. That I reveal what I really believe about Jesus by the way I live my life, even when it costs me. Jesus had perfect congruence with what he said and what he did. So look at this, look at this. It goes around for three years saying, I'm bringing a new kingdom of forgiveness. Let's just say forgiveness. Is it, how many of you are for forgiveness? Like, I'm all for it. I mean, I'm all for it. So if you don't have your hand up right now, you're lying. So you need to, you know, think about your faith. You know, yeah, I'm all for that. He goes around preaching about this. Well, that's what he says. What does he do? He's hanging from a cross, and he says, Father, what does he say? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Oh. Oh, that's the faith of Jesus. He doesn't just talk about the virtues of forgiveness. When the rubber hit the road, he says, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Show grace to them. Oh, my gosh, that's, you see, you're not called to have the, a faith in Jesus. That's where it starts. You and I are called to have the faith of Jesus. And only one person in history has ever had the faith of Jesus. That was Jesus. And only you will have the faith of Jesus when he is living in you. And how do you do that? You train to do that. Why do we say so much around here, you have to, you have, to have times of solitude. You have to let scripture be a regular part of your life. You have to let service be an intentional action with your life. You have to live lives of mutual support. And you have to experience intentional, significant events. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And if you want what he had, you have to do what he did to train your body to do what your mind says you believe. Real interesting thing is the Hebrew writer goes on in Hebrews 11.6 and says, without this kind of faith, it is impossible to please God. You'll just be frustrated. You're going to be trying, not training. And you're going to get frustrated because you know you fall short. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Like, I want this, God. And you set it up so I can have the faith that I want. That's, I, whatever I want, I can have that. And so today, here's the action step today. Today, you begin that journey of saying, God, I, I earnestly seek you. I don't want there to be incongruence. And I'm going to show that I, I set aside time to just be with you. you. You and me alone in solitude. 
I am getting intentional about letting Scripture speak into my life. Something like Jesus Calling by Sarah Young is a great place to start. I'm going to serve. Serving is not going to be an accident. It is going to be what I'm defined by. I'm going to be a mutually supportive person. I'm going to be in relationships where I am served and I serve. Where I've, I'm given to and I give. And I'm going to leverage significant events in my life. Whether it be a mission trip to Mayfield, Kentucky. Whether it be a cancer diagnosis. Whatever it is, I'm going to see those all through the lens of you are trying to build a real faith in me because you never act contrary to what you really believe. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, I know you love us just the way we are, but you love us too much to let us stay that way. Everything you're doing in our lives is about building a congruency between what we say and how we live. And I know I'm not there yet, but I'm not what I used to be either because you're growing me. And I pray for our South Brookites here who, who say, I want this. I want a legitimate faith that that endures cancer with hope, that endures the loss of a child with strength and grace, a faith that forgives offense, legitimately goes through the process of forgiving what is not deserved. And I know so many want that. I pray that today is the beginning of a wonderful journey especially one that sees the crises we go through through this lens. Everything is about aligning our core convictions with you. And the only way that can happen is that we test it out, that we become a following learner, that we do things intentionally to see is, do I have the faith to give like that? Do I have the faith to serve like that? Do I have the faith to forgive like that? And then allow you to validate it because you said you will know reality. You will know, experience the truth, and that is what will set you free. We can't have faith without experimenting. We can't. Grow us, Lord. In Jesus we pray, and everyone said, amen. amen. See you next week. Easter, everybody.